Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a celebration of books. I'm Nico Callaghan. In today's episode, my colleague, Justin Amalimal Cantrell, and I were joined by Aurelia Goh, a writer and researcher based in London, for a conversation centred on her book, World of Interiors. To introduce Goh and her work, here's Justin. My name is Justin Amalimal Cantrell. I'd like to start by paying my respect and extending solidarity to the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong Boonwurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nations in the colony of so-called Australia, the custodians of this country, its land, waters, skies, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Here with me today is Aurelia Goh, a writer and researcher based in London, she is the author of the book World of Interiors, published by Divided in 2022, and of the poetry chapbooks 2016 and NYT. Divided's past titles have included Disorganization and Sex by Jamison Webster, London Rose, Beauty Will Save the World by Fanny Howe, and What the Fire Sees, a collection of anti-capitalist poetry, philosophy, cultural analysis, legal study, manifesto, and critique. In World of Aterias, Aurelia uses collage and appropriation to destabilize the first-person I. There are essays interspersed with poetry and prose, as well as multiple moments where the language itself wanders through fragmented quotation that trace the unconscious and illustrate Go's expansive subject matter. The first essay in the book, London Poverty, is a perfect demonstration of the breadth of Go's thinking and how she maps connections between so many of these areas to show the extent of legal frameworks for state control and the pervasiveness of discrimination according to class, race, and gender under capitalism. Some of the themes listed in the introduction to the essay are the World of Interiors magazine, Hampstead, the HIV AIDS epidemic, gentrification, displacement, migration, the laws of homelessness, vagrancy and lewdness, Margaret Thatcher and Ruth Ellis, Anna Nicole Smith, the vulnerability and disgustingness of the body, the great Chinese famine, the post-1980s generation, Sesame Street and Piccadilly. We're going to listen to Aurelia read a few passages from World of Interiors and afterwards talk briefly on some of the motivations behind the collection. And what section of the book was this part taken from, Aurelia? This section comes from London Poverty, the first essay in the book. I often think about Shosho, the Chinese dishwasher. Shosho is the protagonist of the 1929 British silent film Piccadilly, played by the actress Anna Mae Wong, the first Chinese-American movie star, daughter of second-generation Chinese-American parents who owned a Los Angeles laundromat. Shosho is a talented dancer discovered in the basement scullery by the owner of the Piccadilly Circus Club, Offered a life-changing opportunity to perform in the Grand Ballroom, her Cinderella story is entwined with a sordid plot involving Shosho's displacement of the club's regular style on stage and in the club owner's erotic affections. In the chapter of ornamentalism, entitled Gleaming Things, the scholar Anne Anlin Cheng compares Anna Mae Wong and her contemporary Josephine Baker, the performer and civil rights activist, Both were Americans who sought new opportunities in Europe. As racially marked women 
who performed for predominantly white audiences. Their performances on and off stage and screen involved a, quote, unavoidable and constant negotiation with the symptom that was their bodies. While nearly all of Baker's films rehearsed the story of her own rise from rags to riches, Piccadilly is the only film in Wong's extensive catalogue that meditates on the making of her celebrity, end quote. Of the shimmering ballroom debut of Show Show, Cheng writes, Four large strobe lights circled the foot of the stage, shooting a round of golden, ricocheting lights around the ballroom. In the middle of this chromatic, vertiginous ring, we find Wong herself, moving dreamily, clad in bare skin and metal, a column of radiance that both draws and deflects the gaze. Even as the performance sets into motion events that eventually lead to Shosho's murder, the gleaming, impermeable surface of Shosho's metal-clad body demonstrates glamour's imperviousness, something that offers liberation, not in the simple sense of a compensatory or impenetrable beauty, but rather by providing a temporary relief from the burdens of personhood and visibility, end quote. I think about the burdens of personhood and visibility in the privacy of my apartment, where I clean and regulate my body. I remember, after the legal theorist Libby Adler, quote, one subspecies of laws pester the homeless LGBTQ subpopulation in a unique and troubling fashion. Lewdness laws, laws against indecent exposure, and other laws located at the peculiar nexus of homelessness and the naked body. Homeless LGBTQ youth are exceptionally vulnerable to laws that empower the police to arrest them for urinating, changing their clothes, or engaging in sexual acts in public places. End quote. In the chapter on lewdness, indecency, and queer homeless youth, Adler goes on to ask why, among numerous legal mechanisms criminalizing petty offenses, are homeless LGBTQ youth conspicuously vulnerable to laws operating at the juncture of homelessness and nakedness? Such laws contain gaps that must be filled with judgment by police, prosecutors, and judges. Determining when an act rises to a level appropriate to arrest, prosecution, and conviction. Bearing the marks not only of vagrancy, with its historical associations of immorality and criminal intentions, but also sexual and or gender deviance, marking them irreducibly lewd and indecent. Homeless LGBTQ youth find themselves susceptible to prosecution for offences they practically embody. This group is forgotten, Adler argues, in many fights for gay rights. The philosopher Martha Nussbaum's criticism of disgust-based social subordination, for example, remains preoccupied with prohibitions against homosexual sodomy, which is protected in the United States under constitutional rights to privacy. Yet, quote, gays who commit their sexual acts in private do not have to bear the shame and disgust they once did. 
but someone must bear the bad feeling. Who remains to occupy the unprotected stratum? Those in the public realm who remind us of the shame and disgust that made privacy necessary in the first place. Thank you, Aurelia. That was really fascinating and special. And I believe you have another selection to read for us. This is an untitled section from page 31 in the book. Violence and knowing when and how to use it is an important skill that offers some scraps of pleasure. As a vulnerable young woman who becomes a self-confident, independent and competent survivor still comes to a bad end, largely because of the basic corruption of her world. The poor person, sociologically speaking, is the individual who receives assistance because of this lack of means. All too often, your decisions are based on the fear of getting in trouble or getting abandoned. Chin wants success, but her past weighs her down, both with her family and with her fiancé Lung, a washed-up Little League baseball player, now running a fabric shop. He won't be alone with women and calls his wife mother. She was also schooled in proprietary, encouraged to wear white gloves, and forbidden to have male visitors in her dorm. This is what Stephen Johnson calls the hard work miracle. Time is a primary tool for abuse. Admit that you are being used. Admit you are using your own abuser. The truth is that a creative life involves great swathes of attention. She has so many brilliant theories about how to survive. By heeding the unspoken rules, watching our own backs, and privately fixing things when they go wrong. That the war years and the post-war years wounded the German psyche so profoundly. The survivors wanted what they wanted, now, on their own terms. Like them, she seems closer to female impersonation than natural, self-possessed femininity. And though I knew what I liked, it wasn't usually what ended up mine. The Chinese people have never been fond of admitting their own mistakes, nor do they have a very strong sense of repentance. This is an untitled section from page 64 in the book. These narratives connect our pain with the pain of our patients. His power, more so than his particular clinical skills, allows him the freedom to define what is socially appropriate. Not just by the lock on the door, but the social dynamic in the room, which made myself and others put aside her needs. A challenge to all my mental habits, a fracturing of Lee's reticence, and a facing up to her interior melodrama. She lost her child while giving birth. In that experience, lost God and gained unwanted knowledge. My body and my history became topics in the public sphere, including the mass media and popular culture. The happiness of everyone on the screen is predicated on their refusal to admit the possibility of contradiction, which is not to pass as a white person, but to move unconsciously and unobstructed through public space. It was, she cried silently, enough to suffer as a woman, an individual, on one's own account, without having to suffer for the race as well. 
All lack of compassion for the self generates mercilessness toward others. The effort of self-transformation is generally regarded as an improving journey, whatever its vicissitudes may have been. The judges are very swayed by their own reactions to each person. She found that when a mother accused a father of domestic abuse or child abuse, she lost custody to the father in 28% of cases. When the roles were reversed, fathers lost custody in only 12% of cases. Free time often dredges up long-forgotten memories. A friend said that some really bad things happened to her with men she thought every man was out to get her. She is alienated from her mother, who she doesn't resemble. She is a hysteric, experiencing panics and peculiar lapses in memory. The refusal of any possible gap between reality and intent, which passes on to her subjects. They set their hopes high and carry them through into reality. Hankinson briefly paused during the hearing to see if any statute said that attempted suicide was a form of child endangerment. Like many docile, self-effacing women, Jessica has some hidden pockets of pride. After she came out of her coma, Denise had had to buy her new clothes. Thank you, Aurelia. I feel those poetic past and speculative passages are all so well-meaning and speak to the larger context of the book. So I thought we could start by talking about the origin and where it might have come from and your motivations. In a direct sense, I was asked to write a book by my publishers, Eleanor Weber and Camilla Wills at Divided, who approached me at the end of 2019 based on poetry chapbooks that I wrote previously, so 2016 and NYT. I developed the book out of existing practices that I had, so collage and appropriation-based poetry, and I also developed it over time as a result, partly of the PhD in law that I began in 2017, and partly out of a wish to follow with formats and subjects that I was interested in outside of those studies. And something that I really like was the title, and I wondered how you came to call it World of Interiors. One of the first pieces that I developed was the piece about housing, hoarding and homelessness in an expanded sense, which um, became the essay London Poverty that I read from. This essay was also very much about appearances and aspirations, and I felt that the title should somehow be a glossy magazine title I became really interested in glossy magazines in this time and considered House and Garden at one point, but settled on World of Interiors for reasons that I talk about in the essay related to the 1980s and related to attention between inner experiences and how life looks, which is something that runs through the book. Something that I found with World of Interiors was there was a unique rhythm in the way that it was put together. And 
I was curious about how you arrived at the final structure. It was a process of trial and error. I slowly built up and assembled each of the pieces in the book and at varying stages of completion I started to assemble them into a whole and then that was a different larger trial and error process. So so the book comprises of quite varied parts. There is poetry, there are some long quotations from media, um, academic and literary sources. There are more diaristic fragments and there are longer essays. There's there's also um, a conference paper that I wrote for a law conference. And so something that came together through the process was the significance of place. I titled one essay London after the city where I live and where a lot of the experiences that I write about come from. I also wrote about Brussels, which is a city that I visited as a tourist. It's coincidentally where Divided was based at the time. And I wrote another essay about Harbin, which is a provincial city in Rust Belt, northeast China. It's the city where I was born and it's one of the last things that I wrote in the book. And I know as a reader, I sometimes feel a desire to rush through something and if there are spaces or gaps to fill those, uh, it's an impulse to try and speak for or speak around the work, basically to fill that space and resolve the moment. I felt with World of Interiors, I had to really slow down and wait in a moment of discomfort to understand everything. And, and I wondered whether that was deliberate on your part. I did leave a lot of gaps throughout the book, partly as a product of the method and style that I've had as a writer, and partly, I think, as a decision that I made about the subject. I think that the book is really concerned with contingency and the ways in which our society on um, various levels, from the local to the global, creates a lot of space for positive and negative freedom in the sense of social mobility, but also in the sense of organised abandonment. So I hope to leave a sense of possibility and even vertigo open on the pages. I also felt that this material that concerns social inequality is often represented in a very set way, and I hope to somehow cut across the grain of that. I hope that because of the gaps, it's a book that can be read fast, but also um, it's a book that can be revisited and that can be seen in different ways by different people because of the, the openness. I suppose to wrap it up, thinking about openness and possibility, now that there are other people interacting with your work, what's the experience been like for you? It's been a big privilege. It's been very moving. It's come out with a small press, meaning all of us have been very involved with all aspects of the book, making it and circulating it. It's also come out in the context of my day job as an academic, so that has also made the launch and distribution of the book a little 
slower and more integrated into that cycle. I really enjoyed taking it with me as I've traveled. I've been to London, Glasgow, Berlin and Paris with the book and I'm slowly doing some events as I visit friends in Melbourne and I am enjoying it being in the world as it's such a solitary and strange thing to write a book. I wrote this one in a series of lockdowns in London, so it's particularly solitary, maybe. I'm really enjoying seeing readers and speaking to audiences. It's a, it's a bit unnerving, but it's, it's broadly a very positive experience to have it in the world. Well, thank you for talking with us. And World of Interiors is uh, published by Divided. Uh, it's available to order online or in store. Thanks, Aurelia. Thank you, Justin. And as you mentioned, World of Interiors is available in store and online at our website, where you'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to e news or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge traditional owners and pay my earnest respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you.